Behind the bells and whistles of most success stories are private, transformational moments that ultimately changed the course of our lives. You Did That celebrates the black sheep who are often the first or only ones in their community to find success on their own terms in leadership, relationships, and life. Most of our guests have two things in common. They have achieved something pretty cool, and they often have done it without a role model or template to follow. These success stories are both singular and universal, and we hope that they inspire you to do your thing too. Yay, Aloe, thank you for being here. I'm so excited. I swear, every single one of my episodes starts like that, but I really am excited. And I'm glad we got to make this happen. We were just saying you and I have been internet friends for a while. Now we're sort of podcast friends or sort of. Internet friends plus. Yeah. So I'm so glad you're here. I really want to get into your work and this book that you wrote. Hello. Did you know that people can write books, y'all? So this is very exciting for me. It's always exciting for me when I know somebody before they wrote their book. And then the whole time they were writing it and then afterwards their book comes out and I'm like, oh my God, you suddenly became a superhuman person to me. Yeah. I mean, we will talk more about this, but I didn't know I was writing a book. So also shocking to me that you can write a book. Here's to that. Um, Somebody else recently said that they were considering writing one and I reacted as if they told me like they were going to have a baby. I was like emotional. I was like, you can do this. I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited. I'm going to introduce you officially. Aloe Johnston is a licensed marriage and family therapist and author of Am I Trans Enough? How to Overcome Your Doubts and Find Your Authentic Self. He particularly loves working with trans, queer, and non-monogamous clients. He is based in downtown Los Angeles, and when he's not working, he's often busy exploring the restorative power of now. Yay, Aloe. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Shout out to Naps for helping us survive. Naps are crucial. And I, you know, I'm in private practice, so I can control my schedule. And people are like, oh, it's so nice that you don't have to work early in the morning. And I'm like, I made my life so I don't have to work early in the morning. I am not a morning person. Agreed. I would much rather work all day Friday than do anything on Monday before noon. Yeah. My schedule lately has been... 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. and everyone's like that's so late and I'm like it's when my brain works I don't know what to tell you I am not a human with emotions at 8 a.m. it's not gonna happen I don't care about what you're going through at 8 a.m. I will just stare blankly at you and be like those sound like words maybe hey man shout out there's a lot of therapists who do that but actually not shout out to them shout out to their clients for Finding better therapists for them. I'm the person who works with your schedule. Um. So you said you didn't know you were writing a book. Yes. When did you find out? When did you realize you were writing a book? So I started writing in like November 2020 because it was a boring time. It was also a scary time. But I kept, I had so many clients at that point because so many people were sitting alone with their thoughts, figuring out maybe I'm queer, maybe I'm trans. Um, so I was getting all these emails. I was getting all these people trying to work with me and I was having to turn people away more than I've ever had to do in my life. So I think there was a feeling of first I'm having these conversations with people over and over again. And I've always been like, Hmm, might be nice to write it down. But I think as I was also turning people away, I was like, it'd be nice to have like a resource of being like, I'm sorry, I can't work with you, but like, here are some of my thoughts. So 
I thought I was writing an article. I was like, oh, you know, let me just write this. Maybe I'll, you know, I have some friends who are writers and maybe some website will publish it or something. And then it got long. And then I was like, maybe this is a couple articles. <laughs> and then one of my friends lovingly was sort of just like, you're writing a book. Just admit you're writing a book. And I think that was, it was exciting, but it was also scary because I absolutely did not go into it with any structure. I was just like, I have thoughts, like I start typing each thought, here's one thought, here's the next thought, here's the next thought, which means writing happened really fast and editing took forever because there was no structure to it. And I had to be like, how do I make this cohesive and coherent as a reader who's like, you know, it's not just like, okay, here's one thought following another thought following another thought. I can imagine that if you're asking the question, am I trans enough, that there's probably already a lot going on in your mind. So a book yeah. that is completely unstructured and or a little bit confusing, you know, may not help. So um, I also don't really like self-help books and realized that I essentially was writing one. But I didn't go in like I haven't read a ton of them because they're not my favorite. So I sort of was just like, let me just write the book that I wish I had access to when I was like 20 years old. Um, and I don't I think it was helpful because I think if I had read a bunch of self-help books, I would have structured them the way the other ones structure them. And I would have gotten caught up in how they're supposed to be. Instead, I was just like, I don't know, what would I like to have read and what would have been interesting? And I think that was far more helpful first because... I don't think it's possible to write something that you find boring, but second, like, I think it did something different than a lot of books also do. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I want to highlight that because whenever people are trying to undertake something that, you know, maybe they've never done before or they've never seen before, we have this habit of going and like researching and saying like, well, what is everyone else doing? Let me read all the other books. I want to start offering this, so I'm just going to go see what other people do. And that's helpful up to a point to kind of, I think that's helpful in the brainstorming stage, but I'm really glad you said that because if you do too much of that, no matter what you're trying to do, it will just cloud your judgment and you will maybe not even consciously just like recreate stuff that you've already seen. And yeah, it's not playing. Yeah. And I got feedback from someone recently that they said they appreciated how my book was interesting until the end, which was like shocking. I don't know, a strange bit of feedback, but I appreciated it because I think there are a lot of, especially like pop psychology books that have like one or two points and they kind of just like repeat it for 200 pages or however long. Like you listen to an NPR article that's like, you know, 10 minutes and you're like, oh, I got the book. Like, I don't need to read it. I understand what it's about. And I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely was like, here's every thought I've ever had. And it was like really pulling it back and being like, what is actually relevant to what I'm trying to do here? Because I was there were sections that I had to cut that were like, this is interesting to me, but I don't think it's actually what this book is about. How do you cut sections? That would be hard. It took a long time. There were definitely, uh, you know, a lot of like reshuffling of things to try and figure out what am I actually doing here? And yeah, I think it, uh, there was some internal tantrum where I'm just like, but I spent so much time. And then I was like, this, I, this can be something else, but like, it's not what this specific book is about. And this is more about like my nerdy interest in this, whatever tangential sort of gender thing that I don't think is 
helping to answer the question of like, am I trans enough? Am I trans? Or like, what do I do next? Ooh, I'm going to nerd out for a moment because I think your experience as a therapist really helped you there because that's kind of how I describe the difference between therapy and every other conversation that you have where we do hold back the stuff where like, oh, this is just my thing or this is just interesting to me. Um, For me personally, I'm always like, oh, this reminds me of 10 other things. Not important. Don't need to just interrupt and use their time to point out this super cool, interesting thing, you know. And so probably in your book, it's the same thing. I have all these things I want to say, but if they're not serving my, you know, sort of agenda or like why I set out to write this book. Yeah. um, Yeah. You got to take them and you can put them somewhere else. Totally. And as much as it, it's like a long, exhausting process to write a book. And when people are like, you're going to write a second one, I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I need some time to rest. It's a process. It is a journey. But yeah, I think there was a desire to just be like, let me put everything in this one this one book because I, this is it. This is my chance. And I'm like, I hopefully will have a long life where I can do many projects and this is not the one and only thing I will ever be doing. And it's understandable that I'm just like, this is such a big deal that I want to just get it all over with and like put every thought I've ever had in this singular book and as uh, an unwieldy book. Yeah, I think it's good to when you're, you know, you should throw everything at it and give it all you have and then also have the ability to edit or pay somebody that you trust to edit it for you. Um, But I would hate to have like held back or to not have put everything into it. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, there was a lot of just putting everything in a giant Word document and then pulling it apart later and being like, is this important? Is this actually something? I have a question. You, one of those people who likes to keep things to yourself until it feels like safe to say, Or do you like telling people, you know, either because of the attention or flattery, which I totally love, Mm -hmm. or because it kind of helps you accountable? um, And what did you do when you were writing this book? I very much a keep it to myself kind of person. And I'm trying to find the middle ground where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to keep things from my friends or, you know, like, especially this major thing that took such a long time. Like, you need encouragement along the way because I think I did this about as quickly as you could and it still was a multi-year process from like starting to write to like a publisher agreeing to publish it and then it actually being a book that people can buy like that is years long no matter how fast you do it so I think I quickly realized like oh I need support along the way but my desire was to just like not say anything until I was like there's a book and you can buy it in stores like that's it's so long it's so long (laughs) I noticed that. I noticed because, you know, I lurk on your social media all the time. And it would just be like little tiny mentions like, oh, by the way, I'm writing this book. So has anybody seen this new episode of whatever? And I'm like, yeah, I see you, Aloe. I can't wait. I know it's going to be something good. And then it totally is. You said it was a multi-year process. How long was the process for you start to finish? So I started in 2020 and like almost exactly a year later, I had been sending it out to, I was trying to get agents, but I don't know. The agent process is interesting because they really want to 
make sure that you have an audience and the people kept like looking at my social media and being like, I don't know if you have a big enough following. And I was like, I hate this. I hate this very much. Um, so I just started sending it directly to publishers. Um, so exactly a year after I started writing, I had a publisher say that they were interested in publishing it. So that was a year. And then it was about another year of the editing with them. And then, you know, all of the stuff where they're designing the cover and doing the, you know, copywriting type things and uh indexing and all the boring behind the scenes things that i never really thought about until i actually wrote something and i was like there's so many pieces in this um so it it took about two years exactly which again was like i think very very fast i know people's processes are often much much longer than that um which yeah i think i because of life sort of manic typing in the first stages <laughs> which i had like a first draft in like six weeks like that's how much it was just like i have all these thoughts to like get them out it was not again coherent at that stage but that the writing process was really fast but yeah it took about two years start that's to so end inspirational to me you had a draft or a copy or something you had something to show in six weeks yeah and- I don't know if I'm more impressed that like you were so inspired that it just like poured out of you. Or if I could have done that were it not a pandemic. Like I was just truly very, very bored and needed a project. Uh, I was doing a lot of my writing in like Elysian Park on like a picnic bench outside because there was nowhere to go. But I was like, I just need to go somewhere, do something. writes itself out. Who's going to play you writing in Elysian Park on a lovely, you know, spring day? (laughs) My favorite writing location. So once I got to editing, uh, you know, pandemic, too much togetherness with the people you live with. And I was like, I need to first just like focus on this specifically and also just like go somewhere or do something. But for a while, I was doing like these short little weekends at like Airbnbs to like do some editing stuff. And Airbnbs got incredibly expensive because the cleaning fees were like the same amount as the actual stay. And I was like, this is not, you know, sustainable. I can't afford this. So the peak of pandemic, Vegas was suffering and they had the cheapest rooms ever. So the Luxor had rooms for $18 a night. And I went there for a week as a writing retreat, at least in my own mind. (laughs) But I went to Vegas fully sober to write and edit and... It was very silly, but I had a great time. You're my hero. Fun fact, Las Vegas is my favorite place in the whole world. I love it. It's a very goofy place. And it, I just like for people watching, it's fantastic. It is. And it gets people hate hate on it when I say that, especially because, you know, I've been to all these cool, amazing, historical, cultural places. Yeah. And I'm like, nah, Vegas is a time capsule for our times. I love yeah. it. Disneyland for adults and you just get to see some things that are just fun and I don't know just the absurdity of being like marketed to in that way there's so much (laughs) I love being sold something and I just they're just so blatant about it they're like here you want this you want this yep get in this cab and let's go and I you know I do yeah um but the fact that you I can imagine that I would start doing something and like by six weeks, it would be a very distant memory and I would be like, oh yeah, I didn't finish that. 
I'm really glad I didn't know how long the process would take because I think I would have gotten discouraged and gave up. But because I sort of wrote really, really fast and had that first draft in six weeks, and that was, I don't know, it was like 40,000, 50,000 words. It was like book length. Again, it wasn't a book, but it was book length uh, that I was like, oh, I'm too far in. Like, I can't give up now. Yeah. Again, if I had known, I would be like, I absolutely can't give up now. There's so much ahead of me, but I didn't know how much there was ahead of me. So I was just like, well, I've already done too much. Can't give up now. And that was like every single part of the process, the editing, the dealing with publishers, the like the marketing too, even when it came out and I was like, no, I did all the hard work. What do you mean I have to keep talking about it? What do you mean I have to keep telling people like, why doesn't that just happen on its own? But I was like, I've done too much. I like can't not at this point. So that was my sustaining thing. Put it in Vegas terms. You just doubled down. You were like, yes, a hundred percent. I was like, I bet too much. And, you know, I was spending money to like have it edited and stuff before that. I was like, that was like a weird use of money, a weird hobby. If I don't, you know, put this out in the world. Well, so many people are glad that you brought this book into the world. Yeah, I can't even imagine, you know, how many times do people literally ask that question? Um, and, you know, we're both therapists. We both work with people in the queer and trans communities. Um, I'm cis, you are not. I'm sure we have heard some version of that question like so many times. Yeah. And that's the thing that I started with. Like I knew the title before I knew anything else. I was like, this is the book that I have in my brain. I don't know what it will say. But I, yeah, I just had these themes that kept circling around the am I trans enough? And I was like, if I ever write something, it will be called am I trans enough? Oh, so you did have the title first. Yeah. Um, how much would you say your clinical work influenced your writing? And I'm asking that question and I realize it sounds kind of redundant, but maybe just to us because we're therapists, but I bet people want to know. I mean, there was so much of like, you know, my personal experience that sort of started a lot of these thoughts, of course. And I started grad school to become a therapist when I was like three months on testosterone. So like a lot of my like therapist journey and my transition journey have been aligned. Um, and, you know, I was working. I, my first traineeship was at the LGBT center and they gave me like every trans client, which I was fine with, but I also was like, shouldn't everyone else know how to work with trans people too? <laughs> um, but that meant that I was like, you know, relatively early in my own um, medical transition process. And I was working with people who were at similar places or further ahead or further, you know, in their questioning, further back in their questioning. Um, so I think I got a lot of like context to my own thoughts and feelings along the way. And but yeah, I think there was, I think the thing that has been really, really cool is being able to work with people long-term because I think there's a lot of, I don't know, specialists. There's a lot of, you know, doctors and surgeons and people who work with trans patients who see them for these like little tiny blips of time. And often, you know, at a very early stage of like someone's getting on hormones or something and that's kind of it. And maybe I'll see you like once a year or whatever. Uh, it's not a consistent thing. So I think being able to work with people for you know, two years or three years or five years and watching a lot of people sort of have the roller coaster of like, I don't know if I want this 
or I'm going to start hormones and then I'm going to stop hormones or like I'm debating having surgery. Um, and I think being able to see the long-term experiences of that with a lot of people has been really amazing because I don't think a lot of people have that context. And I think you were sort of joking about using the word expertise. Like I for sure don't think I have like a level of expertise that no one could have. But I think I have a level of context of like, I've just worked with so many trans people for such a long time that I think I have like consolidated data in a way that most people have not. And I think that's what I can bring to this. And I also think I'm like a, a person who's like very good at like sort of taking the pieces and like finding the the big picture, like the through line or, you know, making that like coherent in some way. So I think that felt like the best part of like, what am I bringing to this is my own life experience. And then my clinical experience of like, I worked with people who've had similar questions to me. And I've worked with people who've had, you know, bigger questions than me or longer term questions than me. You know, there, I think there's a lot of different people in the process that some people start hormones at a different stage of questioning than I was at. Some people question for way, way longer than I did before they're, you know, um, going to try something like medical transition. So I think just being able to see all those different things, and I, I don't necessarily think there's like a right way, of course, but I think the, just being able to see the like pros and cons of like what happens when you leap here versus when you leap here, like what happens when you, uh, you know, let the questions go on and on and on without getting answers in any sort of way like this, like what does that do to someone? I think that's what I was able to bring to this. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I'm just thinking, too, there's also the added personal individual layer for everybody who um, might be listening to this. And, you know, there's no handbook, there's no roadmap. You do what you end up doing what you do. But people will have, oh, I have these tendencies. You know, I'm the kind of person who doesn't tell anybody and I want to keep this secret versus... I want to find people and talk to them about it all the time. You know, we're talking about in the context of work, but also in this identity journey that you're on. Or I have these perfectionist tendencies, so I just like, I'm not going to be happy unless X, Y, and Z things happen. And then if not, it doesn't count for me. Yeah. There's so many personal, you know, like we all have our own neuroses and habits and, and thought patterns and all of that also applies to when you're on this transition journey again. Yeah. People talk about the journey all the time somebody come up with a better word it's so annoying i feel like no matter what we come up with a new term and then it gets i don't know not appropriated but like it becomes so overused by certain people that then we have to come up with a new term and then just like chasing or trying to run ahead of the using these terms in goofy goofy ways totally random question um how much of a say did you have in the cover design and like the appearance of your book? Yeah. Interestingly, I had like a decent amount, but that was definitely a journey. Basically the way it went for me is they sent me, the first round was like 10 covers and I hated all of them. I thought they were awful. I wasn't it. What was like the worst one you have to say? They all, okay. so. Here's something that I didn't realize until sort of partway through the process. They asked me to send a few covers of books that I liked of just, you know, things that were already published so they could get like a vibe of like, what kind of cover am I interested in? What kind of things are like appealing to me? So I sent like five covers 
And interestingly, a lot of these books were like sort of spiritual religious books because I think they have like really cool sort of minimalist covers compared to a lot of other stuff. Uh, what I didn't notice was that four of the five covers that I sent had circles on them. So they were like, you like circles. And I was like, I do. It wasn't the circles that I liked. So all of the covers had circles or like semicircles. A lot of the semicircles were rainbows. And this is a publisher who does a lot a lot of like LGBTQ publishing. And I was like, I know you know how to do a cover that doesn't have a rainbow. Like I don't need a rainbow on a night book. I don't think that's the vibe I'm going for. So then the second round was similar. I think they sent me slightly fewer. There was like seven or eight. They were a little better, but they were still very much the same vibe. And I was like, there's a miscommunication happening here. And that's when I found out the circle thing, and I was like, oh no, I don't need a circle on my cover. <laughs> there does not need to be any circles. Um, so I, I looked at some of the books that that publisher had published and then started being like, I like this one and this one. And a lot of those were sort of more, um, you know, text-based. And then the third round, they just sent me one. It was exactly the cover that it is. And they were like, we can change the colors. Or like, I was like, this is perfect. I want that one. Um, but that was really hard because I don't like advocating for myself. I don't feel like I like I don't like to feel like I'm being the person who's like needy, which I had to keep reminding myself like I'm I need to like this because I need to feel confident about it and I need to want to market it. Like some of those covers I would have been embarrassed to like put out there and be like I wrote this book. Please don't look at it, just read it. <laughs> uh, but I also felt that the title my hope was the title is going to draw people in who like see it on a bookshelf and everyone judges a book by its cover. I was like, I need it to be appealing. I need it to be something that someone wants to pick up because I know some of the people are going to be people who follow me on Instagram or whatever, but I want this to have a wider reach than that where someone just sees, am I trans enough? And they pick it up and they're like, yes, I do want to know. Um, and there's this bookstore in... Monrovia uh called underdog books um and they're uh you know very like lgbt uh owned bookstore and they keep having my book in the window and they say people just buy it because of the title well yeah like, that's what i was going for <laughs> like i want people to see it and it's bright yellow and the bright yellow i think helps but it took a while <laughs> to get to the place I, I appreciate the yellow too and it's not you know pink and blue yeah <laughs> i wasn't even thinking pink and blue oh my gosh imagine you know it's like, just like trans colors you get the rainbow or you get pink and blue you get lavender yeah so i like actually that it like kind of deliberately breaks from that but that title that title man yes forward i think that that is another really applicable lesson that you started to say oh i was feeling too precious about this i didn't want to keep giving comments and I just wanted them to send me a book cover that I was happy with. So I could just, I don't have to keep going back and forth with them because advocating yeah. for myself is, doesn't come naturally or it's just kind of hard for me. Yeah. And again, for people who are, there's so many people who are starting businesses or doing things and they'll undercut themselves before they even start. And they'll say, well, you know, people already do this. You said something like, well, I'm going to need to market this book confidently and I can't be cringe about it. I can't be embarrassed of it because even if I am and I say, hey, here's this thing I'm really proud of. Just don't look at the cover. People would be like, didn't you write? Isn't this your book? Like, right. Right. 
you let somebody else choose the cover. And I just want to remind people who are have to market themselves or are proud of what they're doing. Like it's yours. Just make it something that you feel really proud of every time you tell people about it. Yeah. And I think it was, there's so many parts of writing a book that aren't about writing, which I think was hard. And I think it's true. So many things like if you are like a freelancer, if you own your own business, there's so much stuff that you have to do. That's not what you got into the business to do. But I think, yeah, like, even if that's not your thing or if that's not something that you're excited about doing, like, if it's going to affect, yeah, how confident you feel about, you know, putting yourself out there or marketing yourself or telling people about it, then I was like, this feels so uncomfortable for me to advocate for myself. And I know I have to because, again, there was part of the, like, I'm in too deep, like, I can't write this book that I feel really excited about the book and the words and then really embarrassed by the cover. And then again, all of those things are going to impact each other. So it was sort of stepping out of my comfort zone so many times to just be like, well, to get the part that I feel strongly about, which is the words, I have to do all of these other things and I have to do them to the degree that I like can, can, you know, sort of encourage myself to the level that I can get to whatever that level might be. Like I want to, at least feel like I did my best. Yeah. We can't do something and then pretend like we did it. Yeah. We're not at that level of celebrity, although I hope to one day where people are like, oh, is this you? Did you do this? I'm like, oh, yes. I just dropped it without even telling one and it sold out. It's fine. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sure if I was a celebrity with a ghostwriter, there are a lot of things that I could just be like, do whatever. And it'd probably be fine because there was a lot of money and expertise thrown at it. But I did not have any of that. And especially when you're a first time author, not that you don't get support, but like it really is more sink or swim, I think, than if it's your second or third book. They're just like, yeah, we'll see how it does. Like, so I think you have to be the person who believes in it by far the most you have to be so passionate about what you're putting out there because other people not to say that they don't care but like it's their job it's Mm -hmm. their job to market a bunch of books and it's their job to do this with a bunch of people like you have to be your number one fan yeah you talked a lot about things that have surprised you in this whole process what is something that has surprised you the most i think i i absolutely knew i was not writing this book for like fame or fortune it's first of all, very niche. It is absolutely never going to be a book that's like sold in like a airport bookstore. It's not mainstream. But I think, you know, there was sort of this belief of like the better your book is, the more successful it will be. And I'm like, there's so many factors that are out of your control that I think I had to, you know, give up a lot. Like again, do everything I could to make it the best product that it could be. And also be an acceptance that like, I still am not in control of how well this book sells. Like there's so many factors. There's so many things. The world is so large that I, you know, I write it and I put everything that I can into it. And then, you know, it's sort of out of my hands. And I think in lots of ways, I think this has been true in my like transition experience as well. Like some of the things that I thought, some of the things, some of the people I thought were going to come through for me disappointed me and let me down and some of the people that I absolutely never expected to come through for me were like huge advocates for me I think the same has been true with the book where like the people that I thought would be the huge supporters haven't always been and the people that I was like oh I thought we were like acquaintances have been you know such helpful 
advocates and people who are just like, oh, I talk about your book all the time. So I think it's just like being open to that experience and not holding on to the just like this experience has to be how I imagine it and what I think it will be in my own mind because it will be very surprised. There's so much out of your hands. And I think there's that constant, I don't know, that's just life. <laughs> there's These are the things I have control over and these are the things I absolutely do not have control over. Yeah, I don't think that's, you were like, oh, I don't want to sound too depressing, but that actually frees up a lot of people from having to worry about all these other factors that they didn't even think of or that are not in their control. And, you know, we can't just pick one or two defining things that will say, is this successful or is this not? Did I sell this many books or did I make this much money? And again, people who are trying new things will kind of fixate on some of that stuff. Yeah. Or they will totally ignore it and be like, I'm going to redesign my business card again because that makes me feel better. When I was moving into my office space, everything was so stressful and I was hiring people for the first time. So I had like all of these really stressful things to do. And I was like, nope, I'm just going to shop for bookcases because yep. that seems easy like, to me. I have control over this and I know how to do it. And that's what I'm, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, there's so much of that. But it's a journey, it's constant journey to just be like, okay, what is in my control and what is not in my control? And I think particularly, I don't know, I got a lot of feedback from like marketing people and, you know, I talked to some people who do publicity type things and there was a lot of being like the three weeks after your book comes out is your moment. Like you need to make as much as possible happen in that, which is like interviews and various things. And I, I hear where they're coming from. But it also gave the impression that, like, if you don't succeed in those three weeks, like, your window closes, which I was like, hasn't been my experience. And, like, my book came out in February. I was like, sure, I want to do, you know, things that people know it's coming out and they get to hear about it and whatever I can get around the, you know, release date is exciting. But I was also like, there's Pride Month. I feel like I get a second window at least. But also, like, there's been so much that has just taken a while like i have a, an event with the library coming up which is really exciting to me and seeing my book in the library has been one of the most exciting pieces for me I'm so uh, really cool i know i was like such a little library kid and you know publishing is one thing and then it being in the library i was like damn i made it um uh, like this isn't people's yeah that's like 100 it's very exciting but like you know getting the event through the library there's so much like city bureaucracy which is you know i like that just took a long time there were people who very much wanted it to happen and it's happening and i'm super excited about that but like i couldn't have sped that process up i was just like if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't but there was just a lot of feeling the way people were talking to me that was just like you have a three-week window <laughs> and i was like that put so much pressure on you that people will discover your book you know months years later and I mean, hopefully that is the goal. And it probably also has to do with like, they're like, well, I know publishing, I know publicity. And you're like, okay, well, I know what I want to do. And yes, right. I'm going to guidance and I'll, I will get out of my comfort zone. But we started this interview saying like, this is a very niche book. And so I take a little bit of comfort in being like, you know, when I still, it's not going to go the same way as everybody else's. Like it will. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think, I, you know, people are going to know about it who need to know. Yeah. 
And I think in the moments where I felt like really discouraged through the process, like I didn't think that I am the only person who's ever had these thoughts, but I also didn't want to be writing a book that's already been written. Like, and I think there are a lot of like workbook type books around gender that are sort of like, here are questions to help guide you. I think those are super helpful for some people. And also it's just like not what I wanted to write and not my style and my interests and all of those things. But, you know, sometimes I would be looking at like what was written in a careful way. Cause again, I didn't want to like be reading other people's books and imitating them. But I think I would be like, oh no, we're talking about the same themes. So, and then I was like, how many books about like heterosexual marriage are there? Thousands. There are thousands upon thousands. And there's not just one successful one. There are plenty of successful ones. People need different things from them. People need them told by different people. They need them said in a different way. Some people need that more workbook or like interactive style. Some people just want to read it. Like, so I think I constantly had to be like, you know, when I would go to the the central library and look at all their uh, gender identity books that are similar to the one that I wrote, like, like, even if we're talking about the same themes, I'm talking about it in a very different way. And even if we were talking about like the exact same idea, you know, people just need to hear things in different ways sometimes. But I also, I'm just like, I, I do think there are a lot of things in my book that haven't been talked about in the ways that I talk about them which was comforting to me. And also I didn't need it to be like, every thought is unique. Yeah. People get so hung up on that. I didn't write that book. I wrote my book. Right. So I don't know what's similar or what's different or what's going to land. And so again, when people are like, well, like, no, we don't need 10 of the same thing, please. Like, let's just, let's just cut down the toothpaste options, please. Right. However, like, the phrase like, oh, someone is already doing that as a deterrent for why you won't do your thing, I don't think holds a lot of water. Every time people tell me that, I actually have them, either they'll do it or I will do it depending on how much I love them and know them. And I'll say, <laughs> oh, here's the 10 things that you are not that is already out there. Like, yes, you are different and these are all the cool things about you, but let's look at all the things that you're not, you know, stuffy glasses wearing professor type or whatever. <laughs> But there's room for everybody and we don't know what's going to resonate. Especially in such a specific, like, again, I'm like, I'm comparing myself to like five books. Like there are more books about gender, but like the type of book that I wrote, there are a few. There are not a ton of them. So I'm like, so what? Like, again, there are so many shows on Netflix that are basically the same show. There are so many books that exist that are basically the same book. And like, it's fine. If there are some repeats in these now six gender identity, you know, <laughs> sort of guidebooks. <laughs> yes. And as a therapist and a group practice, we thank you so much because we have more things to offer our clients now. And nobody is like, you know what? We have enough. So I'm actually not... Right. We have a book that does this, so I'm not going to re recommend this one. Yeah. We need all the books we can get. Yeah. And they need to be like, you know, the book publishing process takes a long time. So I think a lot of times, and this has been true with like a lot of sort of gender related things, by the time they're published, they're sort of already outdated. Should I sort of mention in like my preface that I'm like, hey, some of the terms that I use might not be as relevant in a couple of years. So like, feel free to like edit them in your mind. <laughs> Um, but I hope you're able to engage with the ideas. 
but also like there will be a time that this book just straight up isn't relevant anymore because this is very much about sort of how you know people internalize transphobia given the current society that we live in and hopefully that changes and hopefully some of these things are not sort of like we're not internalizing transphobia in the same way because society is different so i am like i don't want my books to be relevant forever there will need to be other people out there make books or i will need to write another book or whatever but like this book is not going to be relevant forever and i don't want it to be hell yeah your next book by the way is gonna be like am i too trans <laughs> now what i am the trans <laughs> oh my god i can't believe i didn't think of that until <laughs> um okay well, that is such a hopeful and beautiful note that I actually, even though I have 250 more questions for you, <laughs> I really want us to end there. And yeah. I'm going to ask you something I ask everybody, which is if your younger self could see you now, what would they think? I was just thinking about that in relationship to the going to Vegas part, because I was very into the beatniks as a teenager. Uh which looking back, I was just like, I was just your average teenage boy who had no idea that I was your average teenage boy. But anyway, I think if you told me you would be driving out to Vegas to write your book, that part would be like, oh, cool. But also feels aligned with like what I was doing and thinking at like 15, 17, whatever. But if you were like, that book is going to be about trans mental health, that would be like, what? <laughs> so I think there's very much a part of me that would be like oh yeah that makes sense and there's another part of me that would be like that is not at all the direction that i thought it was going to go in so you know i think i found like a kind of joy that i didn't think was going to be possible in my life so i think my younger self would be deeply confused but also would be like oh you found a way to be happy so like hell yeah so i hope that that is what after the initial shock of uh, this is a very different life than I thought you were going to live. It would be excitement. I love that. I imagine it would be like, what was that movie? Fear and Loathing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's how I'm imagining that. Like, And driving out to Vegas. How can people learn more about your book and get their hands on a copy of it? Yeah. I mean, the best place to follow me is on Instagram at The Trans Therapist. And then you can find my book on Amazon and bookshop.com and Barnes & Noble and all the things. I, you know, would recommend not Amazon for, you know, personal political <laughs> adventure. Exactly. It is at the library. It is at some bookstores. I, I wish I could tell you which ones, but I truly have not figured out. It's in some Barnes and Nobles and not others. Don't know how they make those choices. But yes, it is for sure. Uh, I also think, you know, if your library doesn't have it, please request it because more people will have access to it in your your area, your city, your neighborhood. So that is exciting for me, but it's also exciting to, you know, just be like young teenagers who might not have access to buying something can go to their library and check this out. Yay. Great advice. Thank you all. Thanks for talking with me. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of You Did That. My name is Sarah Stanizai, and you can learn more about all our amazing guests and the You Did That community by going to my website at www.sarahstanizai.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review. And thank you to the woman-owned business, All Out Virtual, for producing this episode. You Did That is brought to you by Sarah Stanizai, your business and mental health coach supporting unlikely entrepreneurs and creating value-led businesses with heart over hustle.
Learn more at sarahstanisai.com.